This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. For those of you wondering, we've been in this series now, this is our seventh week in the series Simplify. Um, where are we going next? I'm, I'm really, I really believe that this is a great time uh, in American evangelical Christianity, I think it's maybe past time for, for us in many regards, but it's a, a certainly an opportune time to talk about what the Bible says about how do we as Christians deal with the cultural things we see happening, going on around us that appear to be either in direct opposition to the word of God, or at least we're questionable about, about, questionable about them. How do we deal with those things? So what we're going to do uh, after we finish this series is we're going to address those issues by going through the Bible book of Colossians. So kind of keep that in mind. That's coming up, and I'm very, very uh, excited about tackling that book and dealing with a lot of, of, a lot of what's happening, what we see taking place and what the answer to all these things is. There is an answer, and there is a response. How many of you have ever had the, uh, the fun experience of running out of gas? Ever done that on the road somewhere? Everybody's laughing. It must have been fun, you know? You weren't laughing at the time, I don't think. But now you look back at it. Uh, when Gail and I moved, we were living in Southern California when we first got married, and and we moved from Southern California to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that's kind of going halfway across the country. Uh, we drove a rental truck that contained all of our belongings. We packed everything in this rental truck. And when you've only been married a year, you, know, you don't have, a, have as much accumulated as you do you know, later on in life. Now we've lived in the same house for 21 years. And I'm thinking, Lord, have mercy if we ever have to move uh, what we'll discover up in that attic, you know? <laughs> it's been there for many, many years. <laughs> Long-lost relatives or something, I don't know. But we had this big truck, and, and we even put our car in the back of the truck. Bought a truck that was big enough, we put our stuff, drove our car up into the back of it, and headed off uh, from Southern California to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Big truck, like 26 feet or something, small gas tank. You know, what are these people thinking of that own these rental truck companies? But, and, and not only that, that have a small gas tank. The gas tank was only like 20 gallons. And it got five miles to the gallon. You do the math. <laughs> you know, how many times do we have to stop? Now, for Gail, that wasn't such a bad deal. But, you know, I'm wanting to get there and, and move along the road. And so every 100 miles or so, we had to fill up. Now, if you've ever driven... Interstate 40 across the country, you know that there are places out, out in the west where the towns are far apart. We weren't on I-40 a couple years ago. We were on I-10 in southwest Texas. Gail and I were traveling from, what's that town where all the fun stuff, the river walk and all that kind of stuff is? San Antonio. What a beautiful city. But you go west of San Antonio and there ain't nothing till you get to El Paso. And I remember, honest to goodness, you know, you're driving. We've been driving across country, and you play with the radio. You're trying to find something on the radio, you know, and you're hitting the buttons, and you're hitting the, the, the seek button. 
And you get to this place in southwest Texas where you hit the seek button and you go all the way across the thing and nothing is, there are no radio stations out there that you can pick up. It was incredible. We're traveling from west to east and, uh, and, and uh, the, the towns are far apart. Back in 1978, many of those, what few gas stations there were along that interstate stretch closed at night. And, and I remember watching in the wee hours of the morning as driving by closed gas stations and looking at the gas gauge. You ever look at a gas gauge when it's on E, you know, and you wonder, wonder how long the fumes will last? I had this fixed, sick feeling in my stomach that we wouldn't make it to the next town. And I was right. Somewhere in the desert, between Flagstaff and Winslow, Arizona, our truck ran out of gas about four in the morning. Actually, we were about 14 miles west of Winslow, and I pulled the truck as as it started to stutter and sputter and pulled it off the side of the highway. We just kind of sat there, and what do we do now? The sun started to come up, and we could hear the coyotes howling in the distance, really. And I said to Gail, you know, I I guess I'm going to have to hitchhike into town and get some gas and hitchhike back with it. Now, you've seen those movies. (laughs) The axe murderers, you know, in the desert, picking up hitchhikers. And I was thinking about those movies too. And I said to her, you know, I I don't want you to hitchhike with me. I mean, there's no need for you to be killed along with me, you know. So you'll have to stay here in the truck alone. So just lay down. I said, just lay down here on the seat. Go to sleep. Don't let anybody see you as they drive by. And I got out of the truck and I left her there and began to walk toward Winslow, hoping somebody would pick me up and give me a ride into town. Hoping that it wasn't Jack Nicholson or somebody who would stop to pick me up, you know. Hoping that no one stopped at our truck to look inside and see this young woman in there alone. Kind of scary experience for me at 23 years old or whatever I was. As you can guess, uh, you can probably figure the rest of the story out. I was able to get a ride into town, and I was able to get some gas and get a ride back to the truck, and here we are. Neither of us got killed by a lunatic, but running out of gas in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the desert wasn't the most fun part of our trip. It was scary. It was discouraging, and, and frankly, it was because I didn't plan my stops very well. You see, the distance between Flagstaff, which is a decent-sized town, plenty of gas stations in Flagstaff, the distance between Flagstaff and Winslow is only 52 miles. And we had a tank that would get us 100 miles. But I had what I thought as we went through Flagstaff. I looked at my gas gauge, and I thought to myself, we got plenty of gas to get to the next town. And I didn't want to stop and top off the tank. I didn't want to be inconvenienced by another stop. 
We wanted to get to our destination as quickly as possible. I was starting a, a new job, a new position in a church, and I was excited about getting there, and, and, and I convinced myself we could make it. I was wrong. By the way, guys, you ever been wrong while you're driving and you're, the woman sitting next to you reminds you how wrong you were? So by not stopping for gas when it was available, by not planning ahead, our trip then took many hours longer than it should have taken. Today's message in our series about simplifying our lives is about the biblical godly practice of stopping once in a while so we don't run out of gas. Many of us here work in jobs and careers where we work a specific number of hours a week Hours in a day, days in a week, and we, then we get the rest of the week off. Usually we get a weekend. We get a couple days off. But then some of us with that kind of work schedule, maybe because of the economy or maybe because our desire to make more is to make more and, and to get ahead, to, we take on second jobs after our regular jobs or during our days off. And, and if that's you and you're working a couple jobs, rarely do you get a break. Others of us here this morning, there's a lot of folks in our church, you own your own business. Now, something that some people think that's the ideal. If only I could own my own business, I could then be my own boss. How many of you are your own boss? Would you raise your hand? I'm my own boss. All I had to do was raise your hand. Right? Um, <laughs> but most business owners I know work crazy hours way more than their employees. A Gallup poll in 2009 found that, quote, nearly half of self-employed Americans, 49% of self-employed Americans report working more than 44 hours in a typical work week. 26% of those self-employed say they work at least 60 hours per week, a much larger percentage than is found for workers of any other sector. So you want to be your own boss? Get ready to work a whole lot of hours during the week. But that's the American way. The American way is get all you can and can all you get and then sit on the can. That's kind of how we, how we uh, think of things in this country. And the problem with working nonstop is that eventually you're going to run out of gas. There, there are lots of ways you'll know your tank is empty, by the way. How do I know my tank? How do I know? You know, I knew my, my truck was running out of gas when I looked at the gauge and it was on E. When the motor began to sputter, how do you know when your, your tank is, is on empty? Well, there are several ways. You, you might lose touch with your family. You and your wife may become, your spouse, your husband may become distant. You and your children become distant. Your health will begin to fail because simply you're not getting enough rest, allowing your body to be replenished. You don't have time to do the things in life you really enjoy doing. You don't have time to give back to God. I just don't have time to do ministry. Too busy working. Being busy has never been desirable in any culture. Author Jane Austen, some of you know who Jane Austen was, said, life seems but a quick succession of busy nothings. Socrates, great philosopher, said, beware the barrenness of a busy life. Here in the United States, where we're blessed to be able to vote and select our government's leaders freely, 
What a great privilege and responsibility we have. Yet, since 1968, the highest, since 1968, the highest voter turnout for a presidential election has been 57% of eligible voters. That means nearly half of us don't bother to vote. Why not? Some people say, well, I just don't care. You know, you're just going to get the same thing. You know what the number one reason a poll was taken according to the United States Census? You know what the number one reason people gave for not voting in presidential elections is? I'm too busy. Can't get off of work, whatever it might be. By the end of the day, I'm too tired to go to the poll. I'm too busy. Someone took the 23rd Psalm and revisited it this way. I want you to listen. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines and my in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Does that sound like you? God has a simple tool for everyone to battle fatigue and stress and being overworked. It's called rest. Look with me in your Bible in Mark chapter 6. Just a few verses here this morning. Mark chapter 6. Verse, begin in verse 30 down through verse 32. Just those three verses. Mark 6, 30 to 32. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Jesus and the 12 had been out on a mission trip. He had sent them out two by two into the surrounding villages to preach and to cast out demons and to heal and exist solely on the generosity of the people they ministered to. And they had successes while they were out, but they also had opposition, both from men and from spiritual powers and And then they returned, and as soon as they got back, you have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the loaves of bread and the fishes from the little boy. Every moment of Jesus' life, it seemed, was crowded with needy people wanting and demanding his attention. Ministry with Jesus, these apostles discovered, was exhausting And Jesus looked at them and said, you know what we need, guys? We need to take a rest. We need a break. 
Like I said last Sunday, some people want to compartmentalize their lives and say, well, this is my spiritual life, and that belongs to God, and, and this is the rest of my life, and, and it belongs to me. And we saw how that is a very wrong, incorrect, unbiblical, ungodly, unhealthy attitude for Christians. Because as Christian people, as those who have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you know him as Savior, the Bible says he has redeemed you. That means he bought you from the slavery of sin with the price of his own blood. Well, the same is true. He, he talks about here about we need to get some rest. And, and the Bible speaks a lot about spiritual rest. Same is true the idea of getting spiritual rest. The, the idea of spiritual rest is a very biblical thing, by the way. Matthew chapter 8, verses 11, or chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. That's talking about rest for our souls. And we would say, yeah, the compartmentalizing, that's a spiritual thing. And I would agree that here he's speaking about the rest that, that is a spiritual rest that comes with trusting him as Savior, that comes when I know my sins have been forgiven and that I've been given everlasting life. It's a promise that I know that I no longer have to carry the burdens of my life alone, but that he's within me to carry them for me. That's what he promised. I'll give you rest for your souls. Then there are other places that speak of that spiritual rest that comes with knowing Jesus. Hebrews chapter four, verses nine through 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Or anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Jeremiah in chapter 6, verse 16 said, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But the idea of rest with him isn't just spiritual rest. Jot this down. He's our creator and he knows our physical limitations. He's our creator and he knows our physical limitations. One of the things I'm discovering, I'm 56 years old, is that my physical limitations are becoming more and more apparent to me all the time. They're, they're greater and greater, it seems, than they ever were before. So Jesus says to his disciples, they come back from all this ministry, they come back from feeding the 12, and that was for these guys, the 5,000, that was a stressful thing. Do you remember the story? Jesus says, well, feed them something, they're hungry, and they start stressing out. What? There's not a Burger King, a Wendy's, a McDonald's, or anything around here. How in the world are we, what in the world, how? And they got really stressed about that. He says to them, you know what, guys, we need a break. We've been hard at it. We're tired. Here's what I'm suggesting we do. Let's take a retreat. Let's go on a retreat where we just separate ourselves 
from the multitudes that constantly require our attention. And let's just rest and pay some attention to our own own needs, including getting some R&R. That almost sounds selfish, by the way, doesn't it? I almost kind of have a hard time with Jesus saying that. Hey, man, I, you know what, you know, guys, I'm, I'm just beaten down by all this ministry and all these people. Is there, can we just get away? It almost sounds selfish. The needs of the people Jesus came to find and to save, they didn't stop. But if Jesus, it's Jesus speaking here and his words to his team. And if I look at the life of Jesus, I know among the things that Jesus was never, it was selfish. This wasn't a selfish act. It was a necessary thing. But with leaders, especially those who have a strong call from God to shepherd his people, there's a sense that if I do anything for me, either it is selfish or it will be perceived as selfish. Jesus very clearly here said, you know, guys, hey, we need a break from work. And their particular work was ministry. We need a break to keep on going. See, without sufficient rest, our lives will suffer. Jesus knew that. He knows our physical limitations. He knew the limitations of these 12 men. And he doesn't want them to stop what they're doing. They've got couple generations ahead of them to continue until they're old men if they survive that long. But he knows without sufficient rest, our lives will suffer. Family life will suffer. Marriage life will suffer. Work will suffer. Church will suffer. Social life suffers. Health suffers. Spiritually and physically, we have to retreat once in a while to recharge our batteries or our batteries will die. You know, why, why do we think, if you know anything about your Bible, well, you know, why do you think God required a Sabbath day for his people Israel? You remember the Ten Commandments? One of the Ten Commandments was, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Why do you think God did that? God knew how we, because he made us, he knew all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. He knows that. What was the Sabbath day that he created? It was a day of rest. By the way, it didn't start with the Ten Commandments. God set the example at creation. That's where, Sabbath, that's where rest, taking a time off, a break, comes from. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, by the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, Moses writes, for on it he rested from his work of creation. Now, do you think, come on now, even people that don't know a whole lot about God, do you really think God was tired from creation? I mean, after all, he he just spoke some words and it happened, you know? Let there be light, there it was. Do you really think God was tired from all his creation work? The Bible says about God, he doesn't slumber or sleep, so why did he rest? Well, a couple of reasons. First, it said he rested to help us understand that his job was complete. It's finished. There's a good example. What is that? Finish what you start. Complete your work. Second, it's simply an example to us to cease from our labors and take a break. Now, keep in mind, too, 
the, the Genesis was written by Moses. Moses wrote these words as part of the first five books of the Bible we call the Pentateuch. And they were specifically written to the Jewish people. And in these first five books are all the Jewish laws that we find in Exodus and Leviticus, especially. And in that is contained the Ten Commandments, and one of those commandments was to keep the Sabbath day holy. God gave them pretty strict rules about the Sabbath day, which began, by the way, the Sabbath day began at sunset on Friday and ended on sunset Saturday. And by the way, it raises a point a lot of people, I, I see people comment on this, and is Sunday the Christian Sabbath? The answer to that is no. We don't have a Sabbath day as part of our Christian faith. Paul taught that we're not to judge one another based on our observances of Sabbaths and holy days because Paul said, you know what will happen if you do that? That becomes a thing of legalism, working to gain favor with God, and that removes grace. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and then when I was living in Southern California in a church from up in Canada, New Brunswick, Canada, wanted to talk to me about moving to Canada and being their youth pastor. And, and one of the questions, I thought it was odd that they asked me, and they did this over the telephone, asked me the question, well, do you believe it's okay to play ball on Sunday afternoon? And I thought, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, why not? And well, apparently that was a big controversy in the church because people said, well, Sunday is the Sabbath day. Well, it's not. We don't have a Sabbath day in Christianity, when you do and it becomes a legalistic thing, it removes grace. Now, what is Sunday? Well, well then if it's, this is not the Sabbath, what am I doing here? The Sabbath is the day, it's the Lord's day, the scripture calls it in the New, in the New Testament. It's typically the day we set aside to worship together. And, and in our society, although not like it was a generation ago, Sunday is still, for most people, a day off, for most workers. And so for you, it might be a day off from work. So if it is your day off, in a sense, yes, Saturday or Sunday is your Sabbath. It's your day off. And that's good because you need a break. But it's not a day off for me. If I'm to keep the Sabbath day holy, guess what I'm doing right now? I'm breaking the law. Some people, in fact, a lot of people say, well, you know, come on, Rick, Sunday's the only day of the, work, in the week you, that you work, you know. It's, <laughs> or they joke, you know, ah, yeah, I know you, you, you preachers, you only work, you know, one hour a week. And then I tell them I have, no, 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 next at church, we have two services. And <laughs> no one ever suggests, by the way, that I get overtime for that. <laughs> and by example, we saw earlier how Jesus taught that the Sabbath was created for us, not the other way around. God created the Sabbath day for you, not you for the Sabbath. God's design was for those who work. Listen, here. this may be all you need to hear today. God's design was for those who work to have a day to recoup and fill your tank back up. So do we need to take breaks and rests? Anyone who's a musician understands the importance of rests in a musical score. I learned music when I was a kid, and I was in the band when I was in school, and 
could read music, and I knew when the rests were there. And the rest simply means here is a point in the music where you don't play, where it's silent. And sometimes in the whole score for the whole band or the whole orchestra, there's a rest and nobody plays. If you listen to our band, there are times when it just, boom, they stop. And then they pick back up. Well, that moment that they stop before they pick back up musically is called a rest. No singing, no, no, just a break. And it's in those breaks that, that vocalists and horn players especially catch the breath to keep on going. But the rests are also a part of the beauty of a musical piece. Someone has said, it's the space between the notes that makes the music. It's the rest every so often that makes the rest of it so beautiful. So let me encourage you this morning, don't quit because you're out of gas. Take a break. You know, when my truck broke down on the highway and ran out of gas, I didn't get on the phone and call the rental company. Well, I couldn't because that was in the days before you had cellular phones and and there just didn't happen to be a uh, phone booth out in the middle of the desert there. But I didn't get on the, on, the cell, on the phone and call the rental company and demand a new truck. Truck was fine. It just needed refueling. You see, if you find yourself running out of gas, it's probably because you have not in your life scheduled and planned out stops and rests so that you can refuel and take your breath. Catch your breath. It doesn't mean because you've run out of gas, well, what I need to do is just park it and give up on life. Park it and quit everything that I'm doing. It means you need to take a breather. God designed us to function very well with one day of rest each week. That's how he made us. And by having that rest regularly, and there's the thing, most of us have two days a week of rest. And God says, I made you so, all you really need is one. Problem is, with a lot of us on our day of rest, are we resting? No. We're running here to and fro and doing all kinds of stuff. By having that rest regularly, we function best in every part of our lives. Some of us here today know that we've ignored this principle of rest, of a Sabbath. We've either paid the price for it at home, at marriage, at work. We've either paid the price for it, or we're paying the price, or it's not going to be long before it catches up on us. If you're going to simplify your life, you need to refuel by stopping and resting. And if you're one like me, I talked about this a bit last Sunday, if you're one like me and you can find all the excuses in the world why you need to go on when that needle is pointing toward E, but I gotta keep going. I can't quit now, I can't stop. There's no time to stop. If you're one like me, as we bow our heads 
right now, and let me encourage you to do that. Would you just, in a, in a quiet moment with the Lord, would you admit to God that you've been ignoring his will for, for your life in this area of rest? Let's bow for prayer. You spend a few moments talking to the Lord. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.